Have you ever been to a very comfortable hotel or motel experience where everything seems to be put in place and it's just very nice and welcoming? You walk in and you feel like these people care about me. They actually really care about your money, but they care about me. And you've also experienced probably the opposite of that, where the, the room or the place that you go is very non-hospitable. If you're like Amber and I, you can feel the springs in the bed. Uh, perhaps the television, as you turn it on, doesn't have the channels that you want. Maybe the amenities of the pool and the, the spa area are just non-existent. Or maybe they're there, but they're just really dirty. And as you walk in, your feet hurt because the pool is not comfortable. Of course, this would not happen at any of Jean's hotels. I'm not trying to... I put that on Jean and had no intention of that. As I just looked at her back there, I thought, oh man, Jean's probably wondering, what in the world? Where's he going with this? Where I am going with this is based out of Second John, and you can turn there, but do you have vacancy in your heart for things of this world, or do you have no vacancy for truth? It seems like the hotel rooms that are very nice, and they're always equipped, it just seems like, you know, if there's an event... They're booked first. They are completely full. And you cannot get into those places. Which demonstrates something about the reputation. What about the reputation of the believer? Are you so known for your acceptance of truth and only truth that there is no possibility that you have a vacancy or room in your heart or life for something that would be other than truth? And tonight I'm going to look at that. 2 John is a letter to a a woman. In the first verse, it says, the elder to the elect. The elder would be John, and at this age of his life, he is old. Potentially the oldest apostle living at this point. I don't know that for sure. But he writes to a lady and her children, as it says in verse 1. And there's some debate as to what this looks like. But I'm going to read here all the way through... Um, verse 11 tonight, okay? So follow along with me, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into this world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, that that we there, maybe translated in some other manuscripts, you, what you have worked for, that we have worked for, Uh, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. 
Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Hence my introduction of a room that you would be receiving or received into. Do we, do we have in our lives and in our hearts places where we just allow Satan to have full reign? Because it's our spot. It's our closet. It's our door that we, we keep because we can. And my, my thought tonight is that we should have no vacancy because our heart is full of truth. John begins the second of three letters to warn a false teaching and call these believers to obedience in Christ. John 1, 1 John 1, 1 through 4 perhaps demonstrates the weakness of the, these believers as he opens with the charge of declaration concerning the word of life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some in 1 John to try and give you a broader understanding because I only have one session here uh, to talk about you know, the, the deceiving aspect, the false teaching aspect that comes with this. So take your Bibles and go to 1 John, if you would, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. This is the beginning of his first letter to similar people talking about uh, false teachers and warning about those types of things. Okay, he, he warns about that, and then he also says, we want you to exhibit sound doctrine, obedience, and love, and character that characterize all Christians. So John's message is very clear here. But look at, look at verse, or chapter 1, 1 through 4, and look at his, his, his beginning statements here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He talks about this word of life. And notes here, the Father and Son and Jesus Christ. And he's trying to, to put in these people's minds that this is preeminent. This is important. Look at John chapter 2. Look at something else that he does here in verse 18 through 27. He, he uses language all through that is like, uh, talks, talks about these, these, you know, God. And then talks about, and, and oftentimes he says, uh, this is the commandment, and children. And, he, and I want you to notice this in this particular passage. We're in chapter 2, verse 18 through 27. It says this, Children, it is the last hour, as you have heard, and the Antichrist is coming. coming. So now many Antichrists have come. These are false teachers. These are people who are constantly barraging the word of God. And John recognizes it in the church and says, You guys have... have you know, fought against this. Pastor said, we fight the fight, right? But, but at some point, they, they let that be accepted as truth. So at some point, their foundation was busted up enough to, for them to accept some of these things. And he says, they're coming. They have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that all, excuse me, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you 
uh, and you have you all have knowledge. I write to you not because I do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because there, there, no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. Who, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. He uses that same word abide later in the text in 2 John, and that's, that's a consistent, it's defined as a consistent walk with truth or with Christ. So there is a problem with these individuals in the fact that they have been barraged with this false teaching, Gnostics, who continue to, in their arrogant and proud ways, barrage the truth, which he uses the language. You've heard from the beginning. You have, you have had this from the beginning. Don't accept something new just because it's new or just because it's the end thing. John MacArthur makes some notes, and, and I, I didn't quote exactly what he said, but as I was reading several different commentators, he, he was talking about the fact that so many people are quick to, and it's true, whether you go to the Christian bookstore or whatever, even Christian radio or podcasts or internet or whatever, to go to the, the newest thing that's out there in Christianity because that must be what really is, is good and, and doctrinally sound right now. And I find myself sometimes doing that. Like, you know, you, you wonder what this is. I wonder, you know, and you kind of listen to it and you go, wow, that, list, that sounds good or maybe that is good. And, and all of a sudden you're in the popular group, if you will, that's listening to this or going through this particular study. But I find John is an old man looking and writing this second epistle, and maybe even this first epistle here, where he's got this kind of wisdom approach to these individuals who he loves. And he, he's lived life. He's seen it. He's tasted it. He's touched it. He's smelt it. And he's saying, these people are not of us based on one criteria. One criteria. They do not accept Christ who he is. They reject that. That is where we start to foundationally ruin our Christian walks, is when we don't accept Jesus for who he is, born on this earth as man and fully God, raised up, dying, raised up to heaven, and living internally in us, and somehow we get that just, you know, well, it's, it's just there. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4, there's more, and then I'll get to my text here. 1 John chapter 4, 1 through 6, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Again, kind of promoting the fact that people have this problem or he's warning against this. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is, from God, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We take that, that verse, and we parade that around all over the place. But think about the context of what John uses it in. It's, it's to warn against false teaching. And we do it in things like this. We need to raise funds for he who is greater in me is greater than he that is in the world. And we, we use this in all kinds of broad contexts. But, but John is specifically talking about the fact and arguing for truth. 
There is a standard by which we need to live as believers and Christians, and we cannot move off that standard. Because to the degree that we move off that, we illegitimize, as if he needs that, but illegitimize or give room for false teachers and give vacancy for them to come in and fill that void with potentially disastrous results for us personally and our churches and our children and the generation to come. So what in the world does this mean? Well, we already read 2 John, so let me jump in here. Let me give you a little background of this uh, as, as we go in here, okay? There's a definite concern from perhaps the oldest apostle alive at this point concerning what we would see as the basics of faith. Because he's not talking about new stuff. He's not warning against new things. False teaching is false teaching. It, it doesn't, it may change a little bit in what they're promoting, but if it's not about Jesus Christ, it's false teaching. <laughs> if, if it doesn't proclaim him and all of his glory, it's false. And so what he's saying is, I, I'm, not, I'm not warning you against these new realities that are of this earth. Well, guess what, church? We don't have to be warned against new realities that are out there either. Whatever is out there is going to change because it's going to try to flash in our eyes to get our attention so that we can be distracted by it. But he's not, he's not concerned about that. He's saying stay true to the basics of the gospel. Love and obedience to Christ. Second John is known as the passage that gives a description of what Christian hospitality should look like. You know, should, should we accept these people in? And as we read that, you know, this... this this family or this, this church, however you look at that, um, was, was accepting people in and potentially letting them ruin their doctrinal position because of the fact that they, they weren't testing what they were preaching or that they were teaching. And that's a problem. This is, a, this is significant because we don't live in a world that thinks this way. And let me, let me qualify this statement. We are conditioned as, as Christians, and Jelaine did a great job on Sunday night, last Sunday night, saying this very thing. We're conditioned that everything has to be okay, right? Like lifestyle, uh, choice of, choice of you know, uh, what you wear, where you live, who you identify with, anything that is out there. If we were in the public and we were to say, no, that's wrong, that looks, in, in our society today in America, is a no-no. It is a no-no. That is not what John is calling these believers to do and on tough issues because we have to test those things which are right and wrong. Okay, so that draws a quick application question. How am I doing with that? How do I litmus test everything in my life and in my walk or am I even thinking about it? Because most of us are on autopilot. Let's continue here. Some of the things that uh, we look at, as just as Second John, this is one of the shortest books in the New Testament, 300 Greek words, or less actually, uh, could fit on one piece of paper. In fact, in the last verses, which I didn't read, it said this, um, <laughs> in verse 12, it says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Uh, instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face. So there's probably more, obviously, that he wanted to, to confront. But if he took the time to write something, it was probably going to be about the most important thing, which we have. And it's dealing with false teaching. So the background, he was writing to warn of false teaching, especially by the Gnostics. And we find this uh, in the passages I read with 2 John chapter 2, verses 18, 19, 22, 23, and chapter 4, 1 through 3. We see that. 
He was writing to warn a household not to be hospitable to those who did not believe in the truth. He was also writing to warn of uh, the foothold trying to be gained by false teachers intentionally taking advantage of well-intentioned believers. These people were trying to say, okay, we, we want people to come in and help us and encourage us, but they were taking advantage of individuals who maybe had questions in their heart about what truth was and what it was supposed to look like. He says this to the elect lady and her children. Some commentators would say that this particular verse in verse 1 is talking about the elect lady, uh, a church, and her children, her congregants. And there's also people that say, no, this was an actual letter to a woman and her children. And I can, I can see both. both. And I, to be honest with you, I don't know where I land with that. Maybe more towards... Uh, the fact that it was an actual an individual because of uh, some indicators, and, and maybe this was a family that was known by John, obviously, because he wouldn't have written the letter. John seems to show a quick uh, harshness to this individual or to this group of people. Um, he also indicates that he's, he, he's going to come to them. So he obviously knows them well enough to be, you know, in their home. So, so there's some things that point to that, and regardless of what that, that, that looks like, uh, he, he says in the first verse here, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also those who know the truth. So he is very much so commenting on the fact that they had a right standing and a right under, understanding and knowledge of God, which is a good thing. And he says, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because, in verse 2, of the truth that, and here's the word abides, we see in chapter 2 and repeated here, abides in us and will be with us forever. What can abide with you and be with you forever if it is not that from the heavenly, that from God? Nothing on this earth will stay with you. You can have it for your life, but eventually it goes away. It's interesting as I talk to my own grandmother who is aging. She is in her middle 80s, and I will get to see her in November when my sister gets married. She will, every time I see her, I saw her this summer uh, for just a brief hour or two, uh, actually maybe a little bit more than that, but every time I talk to her, she says, Jeremy, what do you want to take from my house? Okay? Uh, come in and take whatever you want. I mean, just look at the stuff I have, and, you know, I love Grandma, but I don't want Grandma's, you know, 100-year-old dresser. It just, it's just not, I can't get it on a plane. Southwest doesn't check that kind of baggage. Um, I'm not going to drive all the way to Phoenix to, to get that. And, uh, you know, something small, yeah, maybe, okay, but, you know, there's, there's just not a lot. And she has... Uh, a four-bedroom house and a shed, and it's only her that lives in this place, okay? I'm, I, yeah, some of you are like, oh, man, that's me. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't do much. I can't do much. I, I'm not going to take much. I, 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 I have a house full of junk already, you know? I mean, what more can I take? She wants to be hospitable to me. Hospitable to me. She wants to, to give something to me. She wants me to feel like I, I, have, I have, you know, supported my grandson in some way, and that's, that's a great thing. That's, a, that's a, a worthy thing. But sometimes I think that uh, some of those scenarios give us uh, opportunity, uh, or we just, we're, we're full of stuff, and there's no more to be gained from it. 
MacArthur says this, truth is the, she wants to be hospitable is my point. Truth is necessary, uh, a necessary condition of unity, and is the result of basis of Christian hospitality. The reason I I pulled that out is because of what he is talking about here. He says, in whom I love in the truth, not only but I, but also who... Those who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will abide with us forever. Grandma Dinsmore has that stuff and none of her stuff is going to last. It's not, she can't take it with her. She may be able to hand it down to me and some of my siblings and maybe some of her kids, my mom and her sisters, but it's not going to last. At some point, the stuff is just going to filter through goodwill and be spread out among who knows where and it's going to be gone. Somebody might use it, but it's not going to be in our family. We don't keep everything. It's not going to abide with us forever, but notice the contrast of what John says. Truth will. Truth will. That should be comforting to you and me, but it also should be, at the exact same time, 100% convicting. And the reason why is we don't admire, or love, or covet, or as the word says, abide, which means to walk daily in truth. We don't do that. We don't do it. We have seasons of it. We may have life years of it. We may have short minutes of it. But we are not in that full regard committed to truth. This greeting that he gives is laced with conviction for me. And then he couples this and says, it will abide forever. And then he says, he gives the process of what God has done for us. He says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. And that is not of a, 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 a order that is, should, be, should be looked at and gone, oh yeah, he's just throwing Christian terms out there. Grace, peace, and mercy to be here. Think about what these things are. Grace, Matthew Henry defines it as this, divine favor and goodwill. God would not have looked at you or anybody as far as a sinner is concerned and wanted that. He would not have wanted that. He didn't create that in Adam. He did not want that. Sin messed it all up, but he gave grace. Then he gave mercy because it was a pardon from our sin, as as Henry says. Pardon and forgiveness, he defines this as. So we we have Truth, then we have grace, and we have mercy, and then he says we have peace, which is defined as tranquility of spirit and serenity of conscience in an assured reconciliation with God. That's one day we're going to be with him, and everything is going to be okay. But it's not on this earth, not yet, anyway. So this is no, by no means a, just a flaunt of, let me just throw some terms out there for you, woman, and your family, or church. Let me just throw some terms. No, he says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Why did he have to use that kind of terminology to, this, to, to these people, to these believers? They were obviously having a problem, and the attack that they were getting was that Jesus wasn't God, and the Father and the Son weren't linked And there was no way that somebody could be God and man at the same time. So therefore, we have to find a new theology out there. And that was what the foothold was coming into these churches. And this is what John, the old man, is saying. Okay, guys, don't let it happen. 
Think through with what you've been taught before. This isn't new commandments. These are what we've been taught before. Don't let it get away from you because it could be dangerous. Then he gets into what the body, if you will, of the letter says. Body says this, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in truth. That indicates to me that there was, they were having some success underneath a barrage of attacks of false teaching. And I don't know what the exact context was. I don't know if it was every day, if it was every week, or if they were you know, bunkered in a house, or what, what the actual context was, but it was enough that if some of them are believing, then some of them are what? Unbelieving. Do we see that today? Even in our own church and families. Are you kidding me? It's there. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one we have heard from the beginning. In other words, this truth didn't just happen. Uh, it, It has been taught from generations from past, all the way from Adam gone up through, and they have the truth. They have witnessed most of these things, and they're saying, this isn't new. This is not new. Let me back up, because I think there's some significance that I missed. Uh, After grace and peace, um, uh, peace will be with us. We, We have this idea, this prepositional phrase, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. So from who? I, I mentioned that God the Father, from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. There was a unity there of, of, of those relationships, and it was important to note that. And then how? In truth and in love. You don't find in this letter a whole new set. It's not like Paul is laying out a whole laundry list of things. It's simple, basic things. That's why most of the commentators you read about John, 2 John, or even the first epistle of John, they say it's basically back to the basics. Well, what are the basics? Have faith in Christ, love, and acknowledge truth. Obey. I mean, we're talking simple things. What we talk to Levi about and to Weston about when we're teaching them how to grow up and honor their parents, right? Obey me, right? Love your sister. Do not yell, you know? Basics we're talking about here. Commentator says this, um, in, in verses 4 through 6, as he says, I rejoice greatly to find that some of your children are walking in the truth. Let me co- make a comment about this idea of walking. This walking, the word walking here, indicates that there is a conscious obedience of habitual obedience in truth in life. Um, I'm going to give an example here quickly about uh, the Grand Canyon. Kurt and Sue can identify with this. When you're walking from the north rim to the south rim, and anywhere in between on that Bright Angel Trail, um, and, and you're making that passageway, the trail is relatively wide. Some people have the misconception that, you know, the trail is only as big as the step, and the cliff is right here, and you're, you know, I mean, white-knuckling it all the way across. It's, it's really not. It's, it's really about six feet, uh, would you say, about that. And, and you can walk over here, and the edge is, is over here. So you can feel somewhat safe. And as many people have taken that route, the trail and the, the National Park Service has actually widened it in spots because of the volume of people. There, there is a, there's a security in that. You get down to the bottom of the canyon and rise up one day to Indian Gardens, and there is a trail 
two trails. One's called Tonto East and Tonto West. And these trails go west, east and west in the canyon, and they are not traveled on by many. And the trail goes from this wide to literally this wide. Why? It's less traveled. It's less traveled. My point of this isn't that we take a wider trail or a smaller trail. It's that if we walk in truth constantly, the truth becomes evident to us, and it's like we feast on it every day, and it gets more secure and more secure and more secure. And we carve out more spot for us to, to not fail, to not fall off the cliff because we've been there. Then there's portions of life where that's my closet, and truth in the trail kind of fades, and it's gone. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just bushwhacking it. I'm in the wilderness. I'll pick up the trail of truth again somewhere in my life, and we do this from time to time. And this idea here of children walking in the truth, it meant that they had a consistent, conscious walk that was habitual in their life. I want that. I want that in my life. I want to know God's word. I, I want to have it in my life. I want to know that. And I want it to change me. So what is the commandment that John talks about here uh, when he says that we love one another, that we obey God? Let me read here further on and get to that. It says, now I ask you, dear lady, not as though you were writing, that I was writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. And, and so this commandment, you know, I, I, what is this commandment? And it's, it's to love, to have unity, to have this. And he quotes back from 1 John chapter 2, 1 through 3. I'll read this uh, for you uh, so you don't have to go. It's 3 through 11. He says this. And by this we know that we have come to know, if we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, we're talking about Jesus Christ's word, we're not talking about a false deception word that just kind of haphazardly comes into our thinking. We're talking about Jesus Christ, whoever keeps his word, in him truly, the love of God is perfected. We can grow, we can minister, we can, we can mature in Christ. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We would assume that. Our walk would be similar to Christ. So what is the commandment that he's saying? Listen, lady or church, you need to walk according to the commandments that we have shown you, that you have known from the beginning. These commandments are obviously the fundamentals of the faith. We can rejoice that God has given us the ability to have truth in us and not be liars. I'm thankful that I don't walk out every day knowing that I am an absolute liar. I am a liar, sinfully, but I also have been revealed truth, and I can rest and rejoice in that, because that gives me victories during the day. It gives me victories during my life, and I need that as a believer. I need that, because if I don't have victories, I don't know about you, but that's just a spiral for depression and defeat, and why live? Why live? This also means that there are liars, that we must be very vigilant in our lives concerning this. This is where it hits home to me. What do I let come into my family's view, you know, the windshield of my family? What do I let myself view? I'm not just talking media. 
I'm talking in worldview. What do I let come in the, the vehicle with me? If I'm, if I'm progressing my family, what are they allowed to be exposed to? What am I forcing them to be exposed to? What, are they, what do they get to experience while they're with me and they're training in truth? And if I just have a haphazard parenting you know, ideal in that, oh, my kids are doing good, they're behaving, they're not misbehaving, I'm not getting reports from their teachers, they're good at church, they sit down, they run every once in a while, but it's okay. Mr. Winkler kicks them right into, you know, into submission. Good, good for them. Um, I don't have really, any pro- I mean, I, I must be doing good. The Lord must really be working on them. What, what kind of deception are we giving ourselves? It's, it's not where we need to be. Let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 starts into another section here, and i got to go quickly because I'm already out of time. Verse 7 says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus, Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide, there's the same word, Strict obedience, conscious obedience day by day. Abide in the teaching of Christ. Simply stated, what does not have God? Again, that should bring powerful conviction to you, my friend. Is your walk on the path clearing way for God that there's vacancy for him only? Or are you walking in a haphazard way Whatever truth comes around, that, that's what you're leaning towards on that day. And this is, this is what I'm getting for this particular day. We can't do that. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ, these are the false uh, deceivers and the teachers. These false teachers would accept part but not all of Jesus, whether it was Jesus as a whole or you know, they would reject his manhood or, or just reject him altogether. Um, these, these were people that were getting and taking advantage. He says this, um, False teachers would accept part. They, uh, others would only simply have a habit of teaching the humanity of Jesus Christ, but not anything else. They would reject the fact that he was God and man. So, so as we get into this further, he says in verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever does abide or abides in the teaching has both And he quotes here, he says, the Father and the Son, because he ties them together in unity in what they do for us. Because you can't have one without the other. Has has the Father and the Son, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive them into your house or give them any greeting. Whoever greets them, he takes part in his wicked works. You could go on a list. And I started to actually write out a list of guilt trip lines and statements based on this. And the list is ridiculously long. I mean, I, I couldn't even, I, I didn't finish because I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. Because in every possible way, this could have an effect on my life. And instead of listing all the things that perhaps I aid and abet false teaching, I boiled it down to some questions and I'll close with this. Do I really care, do you really care about truth in life or in the life 
of those around me? If you do, would that change things? Secondly, am I really watchful and cautious about anything, anything contrary to the gospel? Third, am I currently participating in an activity, or maybe you would put sin, that would rob what I have worked for, in that we're, we're doing good works for Christ, right? He, they, God actually asks us to do good things for him. We, we are going to get a reward for those. Is that going to be stripped away because of a few things that I did that just completely bombarded my work? I think of people who... Um, you know, missionaries or were you know, great spiritual leaders and then with one act of adultery, they're gone. Well, that's public, but how many times in my heart do I do that? And I do it all the time. Last question. Am I currently giving place in my heart to the side of just sin? Do I have a slice or a place where it's just, it's reserved for the other side? It's just there. He says in verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And may I add, rich spiritual blessings that we see. In Ephesians that Paul talks about, we have, we have blessings upon blessings in the fact that God has given us his Son to die to give us his blood, which will clothe us, it will cover us, so that we can stand as holy one day before a God that is absolutely holy and gives the definition of that in his own person.